Thank you very much indeed, uh, Graham. Now, we're just coming towards the end of autumn. And one of the things I like about autumn is being able to walk through uh, where there's lots of tree leaves that have, uh, leaves that have fallen off the trees. As you walk through, you sort of scuff your feet amongst the leaves. Well, the kind of leaves we want tonight is the, thank you very much indeed, thank you, is the leaves of people turning the pages of their Bibles. So if you've got a Bible, it might be helpful if you've got it to keep it open. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, because most of the verses are going to be on the screen for you this evening. Just before we came out, we were listening to Songs of Praise on television. And it was interesting listening to the uh, introducer, the producer or the presenter of the program, and they came to the last hymn, and he said, now we're coming up to Christmas, he said, we're thinking in terms of the Christmas season, we're going to be thinking of the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the advent of Jesus, he said, we're going to be thinking about presents and all sorts of things, he said, but uh, one thing to remember about Christmas is that we can look forward to the second coming of Jesus. I thought, well, that's an interesting statement for a presenter of a, a programme on television to make. And, of course, that is our subject this evening. We're thinking of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, for those of us who were here uh, last time, you remember we spoke about the subject, the, Lord, the return of the Lord for his church. And this evening we're going to look at the subject of the return of the Lord with his church. You'll notice a slight change between the word for and the word with. So a slight change there in uh, wording. And you remember I explained to you last time that when we talk about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about two events. We're talking about what we call the rapture, and we're talking about a separate event called the return. And when we thought about the coming of the Lord for his church, we thought particularly about the rapture. And this evening, when we think about the coming of the Lord with his church, we're thinking about the return. And um, when you come to the subject of the second coming of Jesus, the only place you'll find any information about it is in the Bible. Oh, I know people have written books about it, but if they've got any nous, Anything they've written should be based on what the Bible says, because the Bible is God's inspired word, and it's through the scriptures that God reveals to us what's going to happen in the coming days. And when I was with you last time, we looked at the subject, as I said, of the rapture, and you will remember the four areas that we looked at. We looked, first of all, at the certainty of the coming of Jesus. You say, how can we be sure that Jesus is going to come again? Well, the answer we found lies in the Bible, in that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets prophesied the coming of Jesus. And, of course, he came. Uh, that's the period of the New Testament. The Gospels particularly tell us about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we find is that prophecy in the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New so when we read prophecy about the coming again, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be certain if it happened the first time, God always fulfills his promises, it will happen a second time. Secondly, we thought about the timing. When's it going to happen? That's the question everybody asks. When's it going to happen? When's it going to take place? And the answer is, no one knows. Because we read from the scriptures, the scripture says that no one knows, no man knows the, the time, the day of, of the coming of the Lord, except God the Father, even the Son doesn't know. 
And then we looked at the manner of the coming of Jesus, how he's going to come to the air. And the people who were Christians who had died will be raised up from the grave. And Christians who are alive on planet Earth at that particular time will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, just after we had our session uh, last time, somebody came to me and said, and posed the most interesting question. And the question was this. If you think of the globe, and we're in the Northern Hemisphere, and we're in Scotland, if the Lord comes to the air, and we actually see the Lord, then we'll be taken up to be with the Lord. And that's fine if you're in Scotland, and he comes to the sky of our Scotland. <laughs> but what happens if you live in Australia, underneath the earth? Are you going to see him at the same time? Well, I've been checking out what the scripture says. I mean, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read it very quickly, shall we? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. It's interesting to read precisely what the Apostle Paul says. And what he says is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. Uh, just let me check to make sure I've got the right scripture there. Yes. Sorry, verse number 16. Verse number 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice carefully what it says. It says, first of all, the Lord will come down from heaven. And then it says, with a loud command. So there's going to be a loud command given. With the voice of the archangel, you're going to hear a voice. And the trumpet call of God. It says nothing there in those verses about actually being able to see him. That's interesting. Hmm? Now just think about the situation. You're in Marks and Spencers, you're in MS, uh, Saturday afternoon, you're doing your shopping, and all of a sudden somebody shouts your name and shouts out, Janice! <laughs> Janice just, uh, her head goes around like an owl's head, you know, sort of swings around. Somebody's called her, she's going to respond to that. If your name's not Janice, you're not going to take a blind bit of interest, are you? You're not going to be interested. So when the Lord comes and he gives a shout, Christians are going to recognise that voice. And at that moment, we're going to go up to meet the Lord in the air. It doesn't say we need to have seen him, but it is, what is important is we're going to hear his voice. Uh, and so I think uh, a voice can easily go around the world globally without any trouble uh, at all. So the manner of his coming, the uh, rapture, and then we talk about the implications. About if we seriously believe that Jesus is coming again, then it should in fact affect the way in which we live our lives. Now that was the rapture, and what we want to look at is now the return. The return, which is our subject for this evening. And it is interesting to note, and I've got here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. I've given you three translations. Now, if you're a, a King James fan, you're on a roll. 
Okay, if you're an NIV, Northern Ireland version, if you like the, if, if you like the NIV, then in fact you can read that one, and if you like the New Living Translation, you can read that one as well. Watch carefully what it says. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with, with all his saints. When our Lord Jesus Christ comes with his holy ones. And it goes on here, it says, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes with all those who belong to him. Now, how can you come with him if you aren't with him? You've got to be with him to be able to come with him. And so the rapture means, Christians, we go up to be with the Lord in the air, and he takes us away to be with him in heaven. We are then with the Lord. And when it says he will come with his saints, we'll be ready to come with him down to earth. And so what we find here then is that we've got these two separate events. There is the fact there's going to be the rapture when we get taken to be with the Lord. We're going to meet him in the air and we're going to go away to heaven. And then there's going to be return when we come with him from heaven down to the earth. Now I thought I would try to, um, please forgive my computer's uh, computing skills, but I thought I'd try to illustrate what we're saying in some kind of way. There's going to be the rapture when we go up, go up to meet the Lord in the air. And then there's going to be the return. Now you'll notice here that I said there's a period of seven years between these two events. Don't worry about that, we'll come to that in a moment. So we have these two events, think of that as being heaven, and this is being earth. That seven years, by the way, is sometimes referred to as Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week. Now, just to clarify how we get to that, you need to turn to the book of Daniel. And if you turn to the book of Daniel, and chapter number 9, and for those of us who come from Riverside, we've been doing weekly Bible studies on the book of Daniel. We've had a great time in this book and we've been learning all sorts of things. We probably ended up with more questions than answers, but it's been good to look at that particular uh, subject. Um, Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 24. Let's read it. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And then it goes on, uh, come down to... Yeah, verse number 25. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. 
war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed, he will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven, but in the middle of that seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and one who causes desolation will place abominations on a wing of the temple until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And if your mind isn't sort of got, got itself around that, let's try and simplify it. What Daniel says in verse number 24 is there are going to be 77s. Now when you see um, um, the word time in the Bible, it's speaking often about a period of a year. And what we have is a period of seven years. So we've got 70 times seven years. And if my mathematics is correct, 70 times 7 is how much? Sonia, 490. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. 490. And that's, if you like, the big picture. And what we've got is adding of the first, second, and third periods together. And then we've got, in verse 25, the first of these periods. And the uh, writer Daniel talks about seven sevens. Now, seven times seven is 49. So we're talking here about a period of 49 years. And historians have identified that as being a period from a man called Artaxerxes when he issued a decree, a decree for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And from the issuing of the decree to the rebuilding of Jerusalem was a period of 49 years. And then there is a second period, again 925, 62 sevens. Now 62 sevens is 434 years. And that is the period of time between the rebuilding of Jerusalem and Christ's first advent. The coming of Christ was the end of that period, and that brings us to 483 years after the issuing of the decree. Now you and I would have thought, and the last seven would just be bolted onto it. But in fact what we find is there is a pause. It's almost as though God has hit the pause button. And the, 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 the chronology has been suspended, and it says there that the, 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 this is the time when Jesus was rejected. It says the anointed one will be cut off. That is the rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And between that point there and this point here, we've got something like 2,000 years. You and I are living in that period. And so what we have then is a third period which is one week, or one week of seven years, or one period of seven years, and that is known as Daniel's 70th week. And sometimes you might hear the word tribulation, and that is the period that Daniel is being referred to there, is the period of the tribulation. So we have Daniel's 70th week. So if we go back uh, one slide, Daniel's 70th week, we're talking about a period of seven years, and the, the timetable will start the seventh, 70th year, uh, the 70th period of seven years is going to be triggered by the rapture. And that's the table. And when we come to the rapture, I want to think about two things. I want to think about what happens in heaven during those seven years, and I think, want to think about what happens in earth during those seven years. And what you will discover is that there are going to be two main events that take place in heaven. 
something called the judgment seat of Christ and secondly the marriage supper of the Lamb let's look at the first of these two the judgment seat of Christ the relevant scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 15 uh, one, uh, 11 to 15 all of these scriptures by the way are detailed for you in the notes uh, so you can go home and check them out and I've given you additional scriptures in places for other information that you'll be able to glean uh, for yourselves and when you read through this text here uh, what we find here is says no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ so we're talking about a foundation which is Jesus Christ and then he goes on he says if any man builds on this foundation using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw his work will be shown for what it is because notice this phrase here the day I italicized it the day will bring it to light and what it's saying is in a coming day then the kind of life that you and I have lived as we sought to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour that kind of life that we live will be judged by Jesus we won't be judged uh, whether we've accepted Christ or not the fact we've accepted Christ means we're going to be there or what we've got to remember is that Christians are going to be judged for their actions the kind of life that they live. Now we're not talking about being saved by works. You're saved simply by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. But once you've been saved, then you and I have a responsibility of living a Christian life. That's why we spoke last time about the implications of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we will find is that we could well live the kind of life that produces gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. And what you find is if you put these things into fire, wood, hay, and stubble burns. Gold, uh, silver, and stones uh, do not burn. They come through the fire. And so there's coming a day when you and I as Christians, we're going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord's going to judge us, for the kind of life that we have lived. That judgment is going to take place in heaven. And that is one of two events that will take place uh, during that seven year period. The second thing that will take place is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the reference to that is Revelation chapter 19. And uh, uh, the writer says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Now the word Lamb there is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that on the banks of the River Jordan, the Apostle John the, uh, John the Baptist was standing there when Jesus came along and said, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's another verse in Revelation that talks about the Lamb of God, a freshly slain Lamb lying on the throne. And so that's a reference there to Jesus. The wedding of the Lamb has come. Jesus is arranging a wedding. He is the bridegroom and the church is his bride and the um, writer goes on he comes down here and says blessed are all those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb and he added these are the true words of God if you're a Christian tonight if you trust Jesus Christ as your saviour you've been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb now, I don't know about you, but um, I only know of one person who's ever had an invitation to the garden party at Holyrood. Yeah? Is that right, Anne? 
this lady here has been to Holyrood to the garden party there I'm still waiting on my invitation so are you eh? isn't it nice to get invitations sometimes but if we trusted Jesus as our saviour then we've got an invitation to the wedding feast and after the judgment of our works the way we've lived our lives then we're going to have the wedding feast of the Lamb in there in heaven we will be his bride and the Lord Jesus Christ will be the groom and so we have these two events the judgment uh, of, of Christ and then the uh, um, uh, marriage feast of the Lamb now that's what happens in heaven <laughs> just go back for a few slides just to get clearly where we are We've been thinking about what happens in heaven. Two events take place in this seven year period. But what happens on earth? Well there's going to be five events I've identified for you. And by the way, uh, I think as I said last time, sometimes theologians put these events in slightly different order. Uh, there are some people who think certain things will take place before what's called the millennium. Some people think events will take place after the millennium. So you get pre-millennialists and post-millennialists. The best thing to do is to be a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out some way in the end. Uh, but we have to be careful. We're not dogmatic. We have to approach these uh, issues with uh, um, respect and humbly because we ask about events still future. And it's impossible we could be wrong. But the one thing that we can be sure about is Jesus is going to return. And if we're Christians, we're only caught up in that. Five events. The rise of the Antichrist. The Great Tribulation. The reign of the Antichrist. The Battle of Armageddon. Antichrist is destroyed. Now, I would like to have taken time to read all these scriptures, but uh, time doesn't allow that this evening. Just let's work through them and see what we can learn about these events. Sorry, just go back to the slide. First of all, the rise of the Antichrist. Let's just quickly look at that reference. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. One John chapter two and verse number eighteen. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And of course, there have been many people down through the generations who've risen up and been very much against Christ and His people, and they could be referred to, if you like, as little Antichrists. But one day there's going to be somebody who will be raised up called the Antichrist. And uh, that person will appear at the beginning of this seven year period here on earth. Secondly, this period of seven, seven years on earth are referred to as the Great Tribulation. You get that from Daniel chapter 12 of verse number 1. That's where the seven year period is referred to as the Tribulation. Thirdly, during that seven year period, this Antichrist is going to reign over all the earth. He's going to be given special powers, he's going to have mystical, magical powers, he's going to do great things, and the power that he gets is going to come from the devil, going to come from Satan. And he's going to do all sorts of things. He's going to set up world government. 
he's going to rule the earth. He's going to have a single religion uh, of worshipping him and so on. He's going to make a pact with the people of Israel. And he's going to assure them all sorts of things. And he's going to make that pact at the beginning or in the early part of those seven years. And the Bible tells us that at the halfway point, three and a half years into that seven year period, he's going to break the covenant that he makes with Israel. And the people of Israel, the Jews, are going to suffer terrible, terrible things. The world's going to see worldwide calamities that they've never seen before. We watch our television sets, we look at tsunamis, we see what's happening in the Philippines recently, we think of tragedies that are happening around the world. Um, these things are going to pale into insignificance when this Antichrist arise, arises and tries to rule over the earth. Um, Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to 45. Let's dip into that scripture, shall we? Daniel chapter 11, please. Now, the king will do as he pleases. The king is a reference to this uh, Antichrist. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and say unheard of things about, against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of his wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, that's uh, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, nor will he regard any god, but he will exalt himself above them. Instead of them, he will honour a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers he will honour with gold and silver and with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortress. Uh, with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honour those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end the king of the south will engage with him in battle and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also inv invade the beautiful land, that's a reference to Israel. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be de delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and Nubians in submission. But reports from the east and from the north will alarm him. And he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. When you start to think about what that might mean, the implications that flow from what is being said there are really quite frightening. Um, so during that seven year period you're going to have this man who's going to reign, he's called the Antichrist.
And then at the end of that seven year period you're going to have the Battle of Armageddon. Some uh, theologians put it at a slightly different time, but there's going to be a Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19, verses, uh, verses 17 to 21. And at the end of seven years the Antichrist is going to be destroyed. So he's going to be around for seven years. At the end of that seven year period he's going to be destroyed. They are the events that are going to take place on earth in parallel with the events that are going to take place in heaven. Now let's try and put together what we've learned to try and sort of simplify it in some way. We've spoken about the rapture. We've spoken about the return. We've identified the fact there's a seven year period between these two points in time. In heaven, two events are going to take place. The judgment seat of Christ, where Christians are going to be judged for the way in which they serve the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why it's important for you and I to be involved in Christian service, in serving him, in worshipping him, in, in trying to um, encourage others to come to know him. And then there's also going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb, this great wedding feast, when the church and uh, Christ are going to be united at this wedding feast, the bride and the groom. On earth, there are going to be these five events that happen. There's going to be the rise of the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, the reign of Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, and the Antichrist is destroyed. That's going to take place on earth in parallel with what's happening in heaven. I hope that picture there is putting it in some sort of perspective for us. I'm sorry I didn't get time to copy that into the notes. In fact, um, I think this came off the press about five o'clock this evening, it did, so um, my apologies uh, for that. That's the time between these two events, between the, ra the rapture and the return. But yet then you say, well, what happens after return? Once we come back to earth, uh, once we come back to the earth with the Lord, what's going to happen then? Well, there's going to be a number of events that take place after that point in time, I've listed uh, six of them for you. And what it means is when Jesus comes back to the earth with his church, with his saints, with you and me, you and I are going to reign over the earth. So we've got the phrase training for reigning. Tra you and I live our lives today we, we suffer all kinds of problems and difficulties in our lives as Christians we come up against all sorts of obstacles uh, the Lord wants us to do things and so on we go ahead and we, we do things we are being trained now we're training now for the fact that one day we're going to reign we're going to reign over this earth you and I are going to be given jobs to do uh, after the return these events will take place millennium the short time, the great white throne judgment, Satan and his followers will be cast into the lake of fire, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Let's just try and look at each of those. First of all, the millennium. Two points to note about the millennium. The word millennium means a thousand years. Um, a thousand years when Christ and his saints will rule on the earth. That's the scripture. Revelation chapter 20 verses. Blessed are and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection will be the rapture. The second death has no power over them. Now, I think it was Spurgeon who said, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And what he was saying is this. 
if you were born once, everybody's born once, we're all born physically, but if all, all that happens to you in your life, then not only will you die physically, you will also die spiritually. You'll die twice. But if you've been born physically and you've also been born spiritually, you've been born twice, you'll only die once. And in fact, you might not even die once if you're living on planet Earth when the Lord returns. So born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And so we have this second death. It says it has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's why you and I can be sure of the fact that we're training for reigning. We're going to reign uh, with Christ for that thousand years. That's the first thing to note about the millennium. The second thing to note about the millennium is this. The Satan is going to be bound. Satan is going to be bound. Remember, the Antichrist has been dealt with. He has the power behind. Uh, Satan is the power behind Antichrist. During this thousand years, Satan is going to be bound. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 3, about the serpent in the Garden of Eden, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and locked and sealed it over with him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. So in the millennium, a third period of time uh, after the end of the seven years, two things are going to happen. Uh, Christ is going to return with his saints to rule on the earth, and Satan is going to be bound. And then after that thousand years, there is what is called the short time. The short time. It's a period of unspecified duration. It's just called the short time. We don't know how long it's going to be. Revelation chapter 20 verse 3, after that he, that is Satan, must be set free for a short time. That's why we call it the short time. So Satan's going to be released at the end of that thousand years. Another scripture, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, north, south, east and west. He's going to try to uh, have a, a revival, he's going to try to uh, deceive the nations after the end of the millennium. Now remember, there's been a thousand years of rule of Christ and his saints on the earth. And then Satan is going to be released at the end of it. You say, why? Don't know. I don't know why the Lord has chosen to release it, uh, him at that time. Um, we, we aren't told, unless anybody has seen it in the scriptures they can point us to. But I don't think we're told why. It's just something that God is going to allow to happen. And then there's going to be the great white throne judgment. This is a different judgment to the one I spoke about earlier. The earlier judgment is when Christians are judged for the way in which they serve the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. But this great white throne judgment is where Christ himself presides at the final judgment and it is Christ who is going to be the judge John chapter 5 verse 22 the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son so Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of all the people um, out with those who have all been, already been dealt with as Christians 
uh, all of the people who've um, 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 lived, all of the people who rejected Christ as their saviour, they're going to be judged. And um, uh, another scripture in Acts chapter 17, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is the man God has appointed? Jesus Christ. He has given proof to all this by, by, by to all men by raising him from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is um, cast down evidence of the fact that you and I are going to ra be raised from the dead. Um, so uh, the great white throne judgment. Secondly, the great white throne judgment. Uh, people who reject Christ is the ultimate basis for eternal condemnation. Why are people going to go to hell? Why are people going to be condemned? Simply because they've rejected Christ. It's as simple as that. You say, what about the people who lived before Christ? Well, these, there were people who lived before Christ who were people, men and women of faith. They trusted in God. And although they didn't know Christ, although they weren't expecting or understanding all the things about Christ, by trusting, by having faith in God, then Christ's work on the cross at Calvary was sufficient to cover them as well as you and as well as me. Abraham, we're told, Abraham was justified by faith. He had faith in uh, God. And uh, so we have this great white throne judgment where Christ presides at the final judgment and the, the, the basis of judgment is that people rejected Christ. Um, and so we have uh, uh, the next event, Satan and his followers are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Again, two scriptures there. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, there's a passage in Luke chapter 11 or 19, quite remember now. There's a passage in Luke where Jesus sent out disciples. And uh, they came back and he had, a, he had a great time with them as the disciples told him about all the things they'd been doing. Been doing. We've been healing people, dead have been raised, all sorts of miracles have taken place, uh, said the disciples. Uh, and Jesus was having a great time listening to them and uh, telling them about what he'd done. And then he said at the end of it, don't rejoice in these things, but rejoice in the fact your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life challenge there to you and to me tonight is your name written in heaven do you and I have our names written in the book of life if our names are written in the book of life we'll be caught up in the rapture anybody whose name is not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire there are certain words we avoid we try to steer away from I find these days we don't like using words like wrath the wrath of God we don't like speaking about the judgment of God. We don't like speaking about hell. We don't like to speak about things like eternal damnation. These are quite emotive terms. But these are the things the Bible speaks about. And we have to be careful as Christians, we don't try to part them, put them on the back burner and say, we'll think about that some other time. These are basic truths in scripture that we need to be careful about and remember. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. This earth we're living in, 
we're told that there's all sorts of problems with the earth, uh, the environmentalists are all concerned about it and so on, and we should rightly be concerned about protecting this, this world that God has given to us. But this earth and heaven is going to pass away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That there is. And interestingly, there's not going to be any sea on the new earth. Interesting that. So you can't go for a swim in the, I don't know, the, uh, the beach down air or somewhere like that. Um, and then after that, there's going to be the new Jerusalem. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I know there are some people here, like ourselves, you've been to Israel. You've been to Jerusalem. And, oh, it just brings a lump to my throat every time I think about Jerusalem. A beautiful, beautiful city. What a fantastic place. I'd love, if my wife would let me, I'd go there week after week after week. <laughs> but it's a fantastic place. But the heavenly Jerusalem, wow, that is going to be something. I was going to say out of this world. Well, I suppose it's, if it's a heavenly Jerusalem, it will be out of this world. There's a new heaven and a new earth is going to be a new Jerusalem something for us to look forward to. So after the return, remember we've got the rapture, the seven year period, the return, and after the return we've got these various events that take place. Now each one of these we could spend a whole evening on. We could. So you appreciate, we're just giving you sort of, if you like, the big picture, the key issues to uh, deal with uh, this evening, just so that um, you've got some idea of the events that Scripture speaks about. So we have the return of the Lord for his church a month ago, and the return of the Lord with his church this evening. If you've got any questions, go and see Bill Wood afterwards. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Let's just ask the Lord to bless us as we continue in his presence. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness to us. We thank you for the things we've been able to share and learn from your word. And we just pray that as we read about these things and as we think about them, that you will help us to understand just a little of your great plans and purposes. Your servant Jeremiah reminds us that you say, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we thank you that in that very truth, that uh, you have plans for each one of us. But not just for each one of us, you have plans for the whole world. You have plans for eternity. Father, help us to get a, a big view of what it is that you're wanting to do in this world and in this universe. So thank you, Lord, for our time together tonight. Help us not to be frightened about these issues, but to have a, a holy, awesome, fearful respect for who you are and all that you're going to accomplish in these coming days. And help us, as a result of thinking about these things, to be encouraged and empowered by your Holy Spirit to live our lives in a way that brings honour and glory to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our time together this evening. Please bless us as we continue in fellowship, the one with the other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.